Welcome to the Green Acres podcast. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. All right, listen, God is moving this weekend, but how many of you know that God is never done moving? He's not done. He's still moving. So the weekend's not over. But even if it was, God would still be moving. Amen? All right, so let's lean in this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have one, there should be one around you in the pew somewhere. You can turn there as well. Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're in this series called Distinct. Where we're talking about what makes the church distinct. And today we're talking about this idea of a distinct community. Distinct community. Uh, a few weeks ago, I saw this, this little guy, a little boy outside and uh, he was celebrating the Lord, and, and he was just so excited and just praising God at his Bible open, and he was reading about uh, the Exodus, and, and uh, this man walked up and said, little guy, man, what are you so excited about? And he said, I just read that, that God rescued the Israelites by causing the Red Sea to part, and there were walls of water, and they walked across on dry land, and it's incredible how God can move that way. And this guy thought, man, I've got to I've got to school this little guy on something. He just doesn't really know the reality. The reality is, and this is what he says, he goes, hey, listen, buddy, uh, I think you need to know something. The Red Sea, actually, it's been proven that the Red Sea is only 10 inches deep. So there really wasn't that big of a deal. The little boy thought for a minute, and he's like, well, huh. Then all of a sudden, he erupts in praise louder than before. And he's just, he's blown away. He's like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And the guy's like, I don't understand. I just told you that this really wasn't that big a deal. He goes, no, you don't understand. Like, God took away Pharaoh's men in only 10 inches of water. <laughs> Perspective is everything, right? Perspective is everything. Here's, here's why we start there. Because sometimes it's dangerous to read the Bible uh, with the wrong perspective. So this morning, as we unpack an idea in the scripture, it's really important for us to, to view it through the right lens. We need to view it th through the lens of Jesus. Um, but I, I want to tell another little, little story, and maybe this will help us understand or gain a better perspective before we, we dive into this scripture. You guys probably heard this before, but uh, 1961, President John F. Kennedy is known for this famous phrase, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what? But what you can do for your country. Now listen, that was countercultural then, but it's even more so now. If you don't know this, we live in a very me-centered, individualistic society. Our culture is all about us. So this idea of sacrificing our lives or putting our lives on hold for the greater good of a group, for, for this country, like we ask this question, why in the world would I do that? What has this country done for me? Why, why would I put my life on hold for, for a group of people who haven't done anything for me? Well, like, why, why would I, I worry about what my employer thinks or what my, my coach thinks or what my team thinks? Why am I putting myself on the line? You need to know that, that when this was written, when Luke wrote Acts chapter 2, the perspective was not from an individualistic perspective. It was actually from a group perspective. That the most important thing wasn't the individual, but it was the group. So we can't read this with an individualistic lens. 
Like we ask, and I think maybe some of our students are asking this, maybe some of our adults, we ask things like, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to school at? What's what's my job going to be? These questions weren't likely asked and probably still aren't even in the East. These questions are very much about me. Let me tell you something about Jesus, and you need to hear this. This is really important to understand when we read the Bible, but I believe that Jesus was the greatest man to ever walk the earth. He was never married. He died a virgin. He probably never had a bank account. He didn't have a college education, never owned a home, but he was completely satisfied, needing nothing. So we've got to be very careful about putting our American values or Western values on the Bible. The Bible is countercultural in every culture. So we have to read it for what it is and who wrote it. So in order for us to really get the right perspective, I want to talk about a few things before we get into uh, this passage. And then the first is this, is this, this idea of community is not something new. Like it's not something that, that people created out of, uh, hey, let's, we have all these people that are Christians, let's get together and form a church. This is actually the idea of community was from the beginning, like God intended for us to be in community with him. It was his design. It's his creation. Here's, think about this. In the very first chapter of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God says, it is not good that man should what? Be alone. From the beginning, God knew that that wasn't good. Why would God say that? Why, why would God say that it's not good to be alone. Here's why I think this is true of the Lord. It's because God is community. Think about it. God exists as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God knows community. God is community. Therefore, if we are the image bearers of God, that we bear the image of God, God also expects us and has designed us for community. Here's what Jesus knew that, that we're learning. The Bible says in Psalm 16:11 that at the right hand of the Father are pleasures forevermore. John 17 talks about this idea of Jesus being with God before uh, creation. And that he, he was giving God glory. There was this there was a relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was, that was unique. And because God is love. He created us so that we could experience the same thing that he experienced in community. And that's love between one another. God in his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his goodness said, I want these people, I want them to experience what I have experienced. Listen, God didn't create us because he needed us. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He created us because he is a loving God. And he wants to share with us his goodness. That's pretty incredible. God is community. And for that reason, he wants to share this community with us. It's interesting if you really study this idea of how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit interact with with each other. You see very plainly and very clearly that they're extending glory toward one another. Read today John 16 and 17. 
Like go back and read that this afternoon or this week, and you'll see this unique exchange between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, how they're submitting to one another, they're sending one another, they're glorifying one another, they're existing in community in a way that prompts us to do the same, that teaches us how to relate to one another. Jesus was about his Father's glory, and Jesus was also about the salvation of humanity to the glory of the Father. God has invited you and me to join his family, to join his community through salvation. He rescues us for community, to live in community. So this idea of I can be a Christian, but I don't need the church is actually not possible. One of the intended results, the intended designs for you and for me is that we would be in community. Therefore, when God rescues us, We are thrust into this new family. So salvation is a community-creating event. Like you can read all throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that God is saving a people. God is saving a people. God is saving a people. He's ransoming people for his glory. He's creating a family. This is not an isolated thing. There's no room for lone rangers and God's family. We were meant to be a part of the family of God. You know, this weekend, this week, there was 26 men that came to faith in Christ in a prison on Thursday night. Okay, last service clapped. Not that I'm comparing. This weekend, several students have responded by faith in Christ. Like we have to realize when we come to faith in Christ, we are transplanted into a family. The intention is to be a family, to be together. So this is a working definition that we'll use this morning for what biblical community is. So just listen to this, you might wanna write this down, I'll say it a couple of times, but here's biblical community. Biblical community is an eternal, God-imaging people set apart for the glory of God and the good of one another. Let me say it again. We are a people. We are a God-imaging people set apart for the glory of God and the good of one another. Our design is to image God. We are to look like Jesus. We are to bear his image. We cannot bear his image the way he designed apart from community. We need Jesus and we need each other. This is God's design. So now look at Acts chapter 2. If you're there, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you're willing and able, if you would, stand to your feet and let's read the word of the Lord together. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held things, all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all who had any need. Every day they devoted themselves 
to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that in your love, you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word. So may we this morning meet with the God who transforms lives. Would you change our lives to the power of your word this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. The first thing we see here is in verse 42, the very first word is they. Already we have a collective, right? This is a group of people. If you go back and read the verses before, you'll see that it's actually around 3,000 people. That up until that point, Jesus had appeared to the disciples in Acts chapter 1. And he said, hey, listen, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, you have this guy named Peter. He's an apostle, by the way. The word apostle means sent one. So Jesus was sent, right? Paul, Peter, they were sent. So now Peter, as an apostle, is preaching the first sermon. He preaches the word of the, of the Lord. People come to faith in Christ. The church is born through the power of the Spirit. So what happened? Here's what happened. The Word of God transforms lives. So Peter is only doing what Jesus told him to do. He he spoke the Word. He preached the Word. He taught the Word. But here's what you need to know up front. That the church was born out of mission, out of the mission of God. Think about it. God sent Jesus. Jesus sends us so that others can know about Jesus. So the church is born out of the mission of God, but it's also born for the mission of God. You can't separate the two. Like I serve here as the missions pastor, and some people call me the missions minister. You can call me whatever you want. But you need to know that missions is not a ministry. Missions is the life of a follower of Jesus. You cannot separate the two. Missions is not something that we do. It's who we are. One pastor said it this way, you're either a missionary or an imposter. And I think he's right. The church was born out of mission. The church was born for mission. This first verse, what we see is these people, the the first large group of people who responded to the declaration of hope in the gospel preached by Peter, they were set apart. And then it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So this idea here in the Greek, devoted themselves, it's actually an ongoing action. So, So the actual translation should read, they continually devoted themselves over and over and over and over and over and then some more and then again and over and more continually devoted themselves so God set these people apart and then there's four things that we see in this first verse and I, I kind of think that this is the floor for us not the ceiling it's not a prescription like this is not God saying you have to do all these things although I'd argue that all these things need to be present in our lives 
But this is the floor. This is where it begins. There's so many other things that God tells us, but let's just start here, right? So they're reborn into this community. They're reborn. They're, they're, they're made new with a, in a family with a purpose. They're a part of something bigger than themselves. And they begin to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, or another word could be there, that, that they devoted themselves continually to God's word. Followers of Christ devote themselves continually to God's word. The word is what sets us apart. The word is what changes things. Paul says it in Romans. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. How can someone know Jesus if no one tells them? These are the words of Paul. Like the word of God is what makes dead men live. Look, we don't need a better you. You don't need a better you. You need a new you. We are dead in our sin. And the only thing that can make us alive is the word of God through the power of the Spirit. God's word has power. Here's the second thing. Followers of Christ continually devote themselves to the fellowship or to each other. This idea of fellowship, you won't find anywhere in the Bible that fellowship always had fried chicken and green beans. Now, I ain't saying that's a bad thing. It's good. But that's not fellowship. It actually is really kind of insulting to the idea. Fellowship is so much more than that. It's not just a party. It's not just a gathering. It's not just a get-together. It's not just watching the game. Fellowship has a purpose. When you read the other uses of fellowship throughout the Scripture, there's an implied intimacy there's a relationship implied. And this idea, this, this word fellowship or koinonia is used to describe the relationship between God and man, that, that we are known by God and that we know him. It's an ongoing relationship. It's so much more than just a gathering. The more I studied this, there were three things that I kept reading over and over and over and over as, as I was reading about this word koinonia or fellowship. The first word that kept coming up over and over was this idea of participation, that, that they were locking arms together. They were with one another. They were participating day in and day out for the purpose of the mission. Like they had a mission in mind. It's hard for us as Americans to think about coming together day in and day out. Because the first thing we think about is, my schedule won't allow that. Already, you've put the lenses of American individualism on. When you start to say things like that, when you limit God to your schedule, you're sacrificing the greater joys of God found in community. Does community come when it's right for you and best for you and on your timing? Probably not. Because it's not about us. Another word that I kept reading over and over was contribution. That they contributed, they shared resources, their time, their talents, their treasure. They were used for building one another up, but also for the mission of God. The last thing that, that I read over and over was this idea, we already talked about it a little bit, was, was being known. You know that in the New Testament, there are over 
50, maybe up to 60 different instances where the Bible talks about the one another's, serve one another, love one another, care for one another, exhort one another, forgive one another. Bible actually says, uh, like, uh, show double honor to one another, consider others better than yourself. This idea of being known and knowing one another, it's like it's insulting to fellowship if we just leave it at a hangout. Fellowship has a purpose, and that purpose is to emulate or mirror or image the relationship that you have with God for the purpose of bringing Him glory. That we are spurring one another toward God, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. This is fellowship. You know, there are a couple things that came to mind when I was thinking through, man, what's the greatest threat to fellowship other than this idea of, of individualism? And it's not just in America, but that's where we live, so that's what I'm calling it right now. It's not just in America. But this idea of individualism is a great threat. You know what I never read about Cornelia or fellowship? I never read in there that it was all about my comfort or my convenience. Not once did those words come up. My preference wasn't considered. But you know what was? The glory of God and the people of God. That was what was primary. I think one of the greatest threats to this idea of fellowship today, you're going to be shocked. It's devices, it's cell phones. You know, there are some of you right now who haven't put your phone down the entire service. You can't even do it for just a little bit. Your face is buried in a screen. You can't pay attention. You're so distracted. And if you're honest, you're addicted. This is robbing us of the joy that God has given us with one another. You know, I, I feel like half of us might pass out if, we, if I said, hey, make a phone call. Ah, what? No, 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 I'll just text them. That's the point. We can't make phone calls. It, it, how disheartening is it to go out to dinner and it, with your own family or even other people, you see these families around the table and their faces are buried in a screen and they're not talking to each other at all. And we bite this hook, line, and sinker. We justify it. I've got to have it for my job. This is where I, I make friends. Those are not friends. You're living in a false reality. You've created a fantasy world, and all of your friends, they have to click a button to get to know you. They never heard your voice. Look, social media robs us of the joy of knowing one another. I'm not saying it's evil, but it's definitely used that way far too often. I'm not saying that cell phones are evil. That's actually impossible. An inanimate object does not have the ability to be evil. But broken sinners, we don't know how to use them. Man, what if, what if we took God at his word and just put the phone down for a little bit. 
and just, we were just with people. A friend of mine says, hey, Roach, hang up and hang out. What if we just hung up and then hung out with each other? What if we reinstituted in our own lives the art of conversation? I know you don't know where to start, but here's the thing. God can do what you can't. Trust him. Trust him. You know, one of the things that we love to worship, I mean, watch in Texas is football. And while it could be amusing and even entertaining for a moment to watch a single player try to match up against 11, we know that that would be foolish, right? Like it could be really funny to watch at first, but it would get really boring probably really quick. And we would not be okay with that. We realize that football takes 11 on 11. Like there's, there's a mission that they're trying to accomplish. They, they have a purpose and a goal. And this applies to all kinds of groups, right? But that alone, just this illustration alone can apply to us that there's no way as a follower of Jesus that we can fulfill the things of God the way God intended if we are isolated and alone and not together with one another. We just can't do it. And God, God wants us to know the pleasure of community. Here's the third thing. Followers of Christ continually devoted themselves or devote themselves to the gospel over and over. Like sometimes, and I've heard people say this, God, we just hear the gospel over and over. Praise the Lord. The gospel is the power. That's what changes people. That's what saves. That's what sanctifies. That's what glorifies You can never outgrow the gospel. Never. We need to remember it over and over. When's the last time you just told the Lord, thank you for saving you? Like you do realize for you and for I, we don't deserve this. Like this salvation that's been afforded to us is not because of us. There ain't nothing special about me and there's nothing special about you. But God loves us. Even in our sin, God loves us. And the people of God remember this over and over and over. They celebrate the fact that that God loved them even in their rebellion. They remember the gospel. Listen, biblical community is centered on one name. And it's not yours and it's not mine. It's Jesus. But individualism, it says, hey, listen, you do what's good for you. you. You do what makes you feel good, whatever's most comfortable, whatever's most convenient. No, no, if it's too hard, just walk away. It's no big deal. But the mission of God, when we lean into who he is, he calls us to hard things because it's worth it. You want hope and despair? Then continue to seek isolation. How many people today are isolated and alone? How many people today need community? And we have it. We have it, and we can give that to them. And praise be to God that when we do, Jesus saves. That's what the Bible said. As these people live like this, in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we remember the gospel, when we remember what Jesus has done, It causes us to lean into who he is and lean into what he wants us to do. I read this this week. 
It's another pastor's illustration. It's not mine, so you can't get mad at me. But this is what he, he asked. He said, have you ever seen pigs come to a trough for mealtime? Pushing and shoving and shoving and snorting and uh, swallowing as much food as they can. No thought for the other pigs. Here's the question I have for you. Where'd you park this morning? What time did you get here? Where'd you sit? Who'd you talk to? Who's in your seat? Somebody take your spot? You tired of that light shining in your eyes? Here's an idea. Move. You see, when we are ransomed by the blood of Jesus, then we are to echo the things of God where the Bible says that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Who are you or who am I when I think I deserve it? Jesus himself came to serve, not to be served. When we remember the gospel, it reminds us who we are. Here's the last thing. Followers of Christ continually devote themselves to prayer. That may be obvious, but let me just challenge you a little bit. And Pastor Michael is going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. But can I tell you, like in the, in the midst of this community, in the midst of, of mission and, and having a purpose, like these people understood that what God was doing, only God could do. They could not do it. Therefore, there was a dependence upon God that was unique. There's no way that the things that were happening could happen in their own strength, in their own ability. They needed God to do it. You know, I have the privilege of going all over the world and seeing different cultures and and churches in different cultures. And you know what? Cultures that are different than ours, meaning that they're they're in more need, maybe there's poverty, maybe there's there's no health care, or whatever it might be. There's a spiritual dependence upon God that they get that we don't. Why would we need God? Because look at our bank account balance. Look at where I live. Look at where I work. We don't need God. But my argument would be, you absolutely do. But the reason maybe that we don't need God is because we don't try to do things that only God can do. We don't tell people about Jesus. Only God saves. You don't. I don't. We don't try to engage others for the purpose of Christ. Listen, if there's no mission in your life, then you don't need God. If you're not living as a follower of Jesus, seeking to to invade the, the darkness in our city and help people come to know Jesus... You don't need God. You don't need his word. You don't need his people. You don't need his spirit. You don't need prayer. You don't need the gospel. So why in the world would we pray? I think it's as simple as because we don't put ourselves in situations to bring glory to God in ways that only God can. Listen, the cool thing about community, believe it or not, It is a gift from God. Now listen, I'm not saying this gift is always pretty because community is messy. It's risky. It's risky to be known. It's messy to to be known. But you have to take God at his word and trust 
that he will redeem it. Listen, God is forming this beautiful mosaic of all different kinds of people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different places, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-languages. Like when you go back and read Acts 2, there are 15 different people groups represented just in Acts chapter 2. Because God is doing something special and unique. And what he's gifted us is one another. Are we going to make each other mad? Sure. Are we going to hurt each other? Yeah. But that's not a reason to abandon what God has given us. We need one another. We need one another. So my prayer this morning is that you would take God at his word. You would lean into his purpose for you. That you would prioritize, you would continually devote yourself to the word of God. That you would continually devote yourself to one another. Building each other up. Exhorting one another. Encouraging each other. Teaching one another. Loving one another. That you would remember the gospel regularly. And then you would live as if your life depended upon God. Because it does. We are distinct, not because of us, but because of the God who has saved us. Amen? Amen. And God has lovingly and graciously placed us in a family for his glory, for his purposes, and for our good. Maybe this morning you've been challenged. There'll be several staff out by the Connection Suite after the service is over. We'd love to talk to you about getting in God's word. You can grab a Bible reading plan. Maybe baptism is on, on, on your, your brain. Maybe you need to get into a connect group. Whatever it might be, whatever God is, is telling you this morning, whatever you need to talk about, however you might need to be prayed for, we would love to do that. But just, just for a moment, would you just lean in for a second? Let me pray for you. And then we're going to sing a song. And we're just going to worship the Lord because he is good. Amen? God has lovingly revealed himself to you and to me. And he's done it through his word and through the power of his spirit. Praise be to God. Father, thank you. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this family. Thank you, God, for what you are doing in and through Green Acres and Tyler and around the world in Flint. God, thank you that you've chosen sinners like us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to to image God in community. And God, I pray that you you would just encourage this family this morning, that they would be reminded that you are Father, that we are co-heirs with our brother Jesus. We're his brothers and sisters, and God, that you're creating this family for your glory and for our good. I pray that we would lean into you and your goodness this morning and that our response would be to remember the gospel and worship you right now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, 
confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we wanna help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, maybe you need to figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres. Whatever that decision is, we wanna come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, we wanna walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.